0: I'm in a wonderful position, I'm unknown, I'm underrated, and there's nowhere to go but up. Pierre S. Dupont IV. He's kinda of crazy, she's a little insane, keeping Kennedy G really messes with his brain. One is divorced, the, the other's husband is dead. That's why i so, oh, oh, messed up in the head. It's a silver linings playcast. Oh yeah! Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. As far as I know, the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Uh. This week, we are back in studio in Georgia. You can probably hear from the audio quality. Sorry for all the weirdness. Hope you guys have been having fun listening to the previous episodes. If you have, if you have, I'm sorry. Still, as always, because we have not improved the quality, but it seems like over the last couple months, we might have even deteriorated. How much lower can you go from no quality, and no content at all. We've basically been an anti-podcast. I am going to do the first thing I've probably done in 84 episodes. I'm saying 84 because this is the 85th episode, and the thing we were going to do this week has to do with referring to what happened, or what we talked about, or didn't talk about the previous week. This is a promise I have made on numerous episodes over the course of our run so far, but this may be the first time I actually follow through in returning to the previous week and picking up where I meant to hit on when I hit on last week. With the exception of the two-parter that uh, I recorded with Nick, but only because we recorded that in one, one sitting and divided it into two pieces. I didn't actually have enough forethought to pre-record with him uh, a second week or go back and record a second episode it was one really long episode also the two-parter where we picked apart the less than stellar review about silver linings playbook that uh, we just don't even need To talk about because that took us down this crazy uh, several episode run. Where we just talked about uh, French New Wave Cinema. Which is about the most pretentious thing you can talk about. And I as a film person. And I don't want to be pretentious because uh, we are so low concept. We are basically no concept level. Here. You've heard of A24. We're like a twenty. None. That, couldn't think of it off the top of my head. We're like a, no, never mind. Okay. So, the thing we we're going to talk about this week is movies that are rated lower than they deserved, to be, or, the, or the critics didn't like them, audiences did. And the reason that this is a topic is because last week I had been looking up the rating for what Silver Linings Playbook had gotten as a movie. And apparently, so Silver Linings Playbook was uh, rated, uh, these are the three main readings when you Google a movie, I said readings, ratings, if you type any movie into Google, and it's been out long enough to collect um, a certain threshold of reviews on how good of a movie it is or how bad a movie it is, then... Google will usually automatically display on the right side of the screen uh, in in the uh, description of the film three ratings, three metrics by which you can try to judge in a snapshot whether you think this movie is going to be good or not. The ratings are IMDB, which stands for the Internet Movie Database, IMDB.com, Rotten Tomatoes, and Metacritic. Now, I was Googling SLP, Silver Linux Playbook and I looked at the IMDB score, which was seven point seven out of ten that is just just disappointingly low um, uh, and then you have the Rotten tomato Rotten tomato review um, score which is a ninety two percent ninety two out of hundred also uh just remarkably. Lower than I expected it to be. And then the Metacritic, the Metacritic rating being 81%. Again, far lower, but given the the weighting system of Metacritic, it's to be uh, understood, and it's probably pretty good in relevance to Metacritic itself um, because they weight the reviews. Well, let's talk for a second about how these three different grading scales arrive at their scoring for movies so let's go with probably the most popularly used one is the rotten tomato score now rotten tomato is interesting because they have actually two different scoring systems um and these are uh the um, professional critic reviews, and these are reviews basically by people who are published through some type of journalism medium format. Uh, Websites, um, newspapers, uh, entertainment journals, weeklies, um, different, they're sort of professional film reviewers, right? And they will take Uh, The the over the uh, overall score, uh, the overall percentage of reviewers that they that thought this movie was good or bad. And then they will make a ratio out of it, which is where you get the percentage out of 100 with basically you wanting the score to be higher, the higher the number the more liked the film it was. Assuming that a perfect score would be out of a hundred, you then uh, take away um, every point of badness that a film has. And the overall Rotten Tomato score is based on the the, um, percentage of positive uh, to negative reviews. So it's just like an up or down from each of the, the reviewers, uh, I think, and you can go into the actual individual reviews and see the more nuanced rating systems that each pers- each of the different uh, reviewers has for the film. But the Rotten Tomato, the, the just colloquial um, entry into our uh, English cinematic nomenclature would be uh, a Rotten Tomato score of 92% for Silver Linings Playbook, which is just... Just criminally low, criminally low. I would have definitely put it at ninety nine percent. Like we, like we always say, it is not a perfect movie, but yet is that that flaw that makes it human? Is that not what makes it a perfect movie? All right. Now, uh, the cool thing about Rotten Tomato, or the interesting thing about Rotten Tomato, is that they have the professional movie critic side, but then they also have. The basically everybody else movie review side. So you can when you log on to the actual Rotten Tomatoes, and, and I believe the Google, the Google Rotten Tomato score is from the professional critic side. But then you can see the average, um, unweighted uh, total ratio of, of non-professional movie viewers. I, I think you can go on there. It gives things a uh, fresh or rotten review. Rotten being an indicator, indicated by basically a green splat that I think is supposed to be the stem of a tomato and then fresh being a full ripe red tomato. The threshold for getting a fresh rating, which is basically a thumbs up, is getting 60% or higher scores out of the pool of... Films that are reviewed. Right? So I think that is probably one of the most popular ones that people will be like round tomatoes because I'll, I I like it. I like it. It's a great concept because, um, it takes the details of, uh, a, a more mathematical, uh, nuanced, rating system, all the individual ratings, applies a very easy, easy standard to just like visually say thumbs up or thumbs down to a film. Let's go to IMDb. If you are listening to me, you probably know what IMDb is because you speak English, are old enough to get onto a computer uh, and have... Somehow, for some reason, decided to listen to this point in the podcast. I'm not going to say listen to the podcast because there's no assumption that you have listened to any or all of the podcast up till previous to this point that has been recorded. Because this is the 85th episode and most of them, a majority of them, a uh, fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes worth of them are hour long episodes so that means that there is approximately let's say let's say like fifteen of them are not uh now let's say ten just because it's about to make my math easier right ten of them uh are not hour longs but the rest of them are with a few going a little bit over most of them are or just under, then it would take over three full days to listen to all of the the podcast that's out so far. So anybody that's ever done that uh, would be absolutely ridiculous, because I have not even done that. Anyway, what I was saying all that, just to say that uh, you probably know what IMDb is. It is the Internet Movie Database, and it is not just a rating system. In fact, it is really not even uh, – rating is, like, the least important part of it, but they, it is it is a very convenient place to put up a rating, too. Now, here's the funny thing. I would sort of give them this, – this is the People's Choice Award. Of ratings. IMDb uh, rates on a scale uh, 1 to 10, and you can get points um, out of 10. So you can get like a 1.2, you can get a 6.9, nice, I know, right? Uh, 7.3, 4.6, you get it, right? It, it gives you the tenth of a point place out in the, the measurement. Um, anybody is allowed to rate a movie. Basically, you give films one out of ten stars, and they take take the mean average of all of the reviews. This means that some movies are highly skewed in in their ratings. Usually, the longer the movie exists the more accurate it becomes but also there's no professional necessarily weighted scores in the imdb movie movie rating system so it is a total people's choice things there is movies that have uh, tens of thousands of reviews and there's some that don't have almost any and basically you could be the first one it's a very sort of democratic process In the purest sense. This is why a lot of times movies are are sort of skewed when they first come out and they um, are just these like too positive or too negative, depending on like if people uh, wanted to sort of like uh, review bomb the site. Um, Sorry, I'm typing something. And the only reason I was doing that was because I wanted to bring up a point in a second but when I get done with this uh, oh here's the other weird thing that I didn't even think about but Google has its own five star rating underneath the three other the Rotten Tomatoes which is the first one IMDb and Metacritic uh, rating of movies if you go to the Google review the Google page of themselves so uh, Silver Linings Playbook has a 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb and again, that is criminally low, and I will say this one is is just surprisingly low, such an underrated film because IMDB's ranking represents what the mass audiences, the general public thought of this movie. and they're just wrong they're. They're wrong. It was better than a 7.7 movie. You know what other movies are 7.7 movies? I don't know. Movies that couldn't make 9.9, which is totally what this film should have been if you watched it with human eyes, people ears, an open heart, and knowledge of the language that it was made in. Only I'm only saying this, I'm only saying it helps to be an English Speaker, a native English speaker, to watch it so you can understand some of the nuance of the film. Uh, tr- things lose a little bit in translation. There's a whole movie about that. Actually, there's a whole movie titled that. Ironically, it is not about that, even though it kind of is metaphorically. And you know what? I might even categorize "Lost in Translation" as one of those awesome films that should probably fit into, excuse me, the new genre that I was sort of trying to define last week with my favorite films of uh, Silver Linux Playbook, Up in the Air. Uh, I want to include The Descendants in this list, but I have not seen it in so long, I literally don't remember a single thing about it. The only thing I remember is that Jim Dash wrote the screenplay for it. Um, If you're not familiar who that is by name, but it sounds familiar. He was the dean on Community and absolutely uh, amazing. Uh, and he's quite an accomplished uh, dean play writer. bum So IMDB. IMDB. Internet Movie Data. Y'all know what that is. I don't need to go into that, right? Also because... There's a super huge topic. There's a reason we're bringing this all up and looks like I'm already on track to not be able to get to to the satisfaction that I want. And not gonna get there at all if I just stop and talk about not getting there at all. So there's not even a need to explain what is going on right now. You see it, you hear it. I apologize for it. Let's move on. Metacritic. If... If rotten to if no if uh, if IMDb is the people's choice awards, that would make Metacritic um, kind of like the Academy, maybe, but maybe even not completely. Maybe like the Screen, uh, Screen Actors Guild awards. Even though I don't know how that voting is done let's skip right to the interesting part about metacritic uh i think a lot of people cite metacritic or or like because you often see the ranking the the metacritic rating in reviews for things metacritic also it should be known has score reviews for far more than just films. They have films, but they, uh, do music. They do books. Uh, they do video games. So that's why I'm saying you'll, you'll see the, the Metacritic rating. That's, there's a huge, uh, use of the Metacritic rating on video game trailers. I've seen, um, on magazine reviews I think or something something like that I don't know what I'm talking about at the moment the big difference and the thing that's interesting and the reason I like metacritic even though I've never actually been to the metacritic itself site and I don't think many people do I don't if you're if you're looking up a movie you probably google it and then you look over at the rotten tomatoes and then you might look at, at one of the others but people ver- I don't I'm saying this I don't think think people really go to the Metacritic site. That is not saying that people don't use it. I think it is a very used system. It's just a little more boring. And the reason is because uh, the uh, the reason it is not as exciting, I think, is actually the exact reason why it is better. It is probably the most, um, has the most artistic integrity out of, I want to say, yeah, uh, it, it sort of depends on what kind of rating you're looking for, too. Right? IMDb is a popularity contest, and popularity is important. Popularity is fine. If you're trying to make a movie that is popular and you don't need it to be good, that's fine. You're absolutely allowed to. You can make whatever kind of art you want. Make Pop Art, make Kit Shirt, be Thomas Kincaid if you want. Uh, be. Who was the name? Gary Larson. Uh, B. Steven Spielberg is a tough one because while he does, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll just use him as an example. Cause I'm, cause I, cause my whole argument, right? The the argument I'm trying to make is I don't not love any of these people. They're fine. Uh, B. uh, Um, Robert, uh, Ludlum, Tom Clancy, Clive, Clive Cussler, right? These people that put out, um, Robert, Robert Patterson, not Robert Pattinson, but also Robert Pattinson, not Robert Pattinson, because Pattinson, Pattinson. Well, we'll probably talk about him in an upcoming episode uh, because there is some Batman stuff coming up, and we all know the clear tie-ins between the Batman franchise and Silver Linus Playbook, right? So think about that. Think about the things we discussed when we talked about that, and we and uh, give me. Give me your thoughts on that for upcoming episodes at you can email us at Silver the Silverlinings Playcast at gmail.com T H E S I L V E R L I N I N G S P L A Y C A S T at Gmail Golf Mike Alpha India Lima, dot com. And let me know what you think about that whole whole Silver Linings Playbook, Batman Universe thing, um, and maybe we can discuss that further if I get enough feedback on that. Metacritic, Metacritic, Metacritic. It takes the the aggregated reviews from professional critics. The big difference is it weights the scores. According to the level of prestige or importance of the source, that's like saying if I am an official journal, but it's from my hometown. If I do the the Forsyth County News from Forsyth County, Georgia, and I write like "Oh, this is the best movie ever," blah, blah, blah. I will not play in to the aggregate score of the Metacritic score for a movie as much as a New York Times. Film reviewer, as a New Yorker film reviewer, as a New York Post film reviewer, as a Seattle Times reviewer, as an Atlanta Journal Constitution reviewer, as a Chicago uh, Tribune, as a Washington Post, as a UK day I'm just I'm kind of getting, I'm trying to name as many newspapers and I'm not even sure I got, I don't, I don't know if everything I said was actually a newspaper. You get the point. The scores are weighted. So the, the people that have been doing them longer and sort of have more clout in the film reviewing world. So, so Metacritic really represents the, when I say professional, we're, we're looking at professional in just the purest sense of the word. We're not saying better we're not saying this review is truer, but the word professional does have a meaning. Things aren't just professional because you feel that in your heart. Uh, professional film reviewers are people that do that for a living. There's a certain standard expected of of, of the quality content for them to survive. And so you get the Metacritic score. Uh, these tend to be a little lower because you have uh, the the pool of people offering their score of the movie are all pretentious film people, cinephiles. So they're probably looking for more things to sort of tear apart. That being said, if you look at these scores, um, uh, only within the Metacritic world, it'll probably be consistent though. Even though the overall score of the film might be lower compared to IMDB or compared to Rotten Tomatoes, you are, going to probably see it be the same ratio of difference in between other films that it is that you might want to judge against uh, Metacritic score Metacritic score. What do I mean by that? Because it kind of sounds weird. I'm saying if you looked at silver linings playbook and it had a, a nine out of nine, a 9.9 on IMDB ignore for a second, their rating model, Um, You could look over at Metacritic and it might be like an 8.8 on Metacritic. But if you look at at the IMDb and you just let's just say for a second that um, Silver Linings Playbook has a 9.9 and uh, a fantastic film like The Cutting Edge has a 7.7. Both of those films would have been like higher um, uh, than, than the the uh, score, um, you know, the, their Metacritic score. The Metacritic might get, give Silver Linings Playbook only an eight eighty 80%, which would be equivalent of an 8.8 on IMDb. But then they would also probably give the cutting edge like a six point six, so the the distance between Silver Linings Playbook and the cutting edge would be the same between st- themselves, not not a hundred percent, but on average, over time, uh, over like probably according to mode, average would probably be the mo- you would see the same level of uh these this represents a good metacritic score this represents a good imdb score and those were just exaggerations of silver linings playbook being a 9.9 and the cutting edge being a 7.7 on imdb we all know they're not that as high either of those but they deserve higher and i do know 7.7 is not a stellar score on IMDb. A lot of people would say that anything over 70 is considered good on IMDb. And I I agree in the sense of like yeah, it's it, it's it's fine, it's good. Like any any movie that 7.7 is generally fresh in my book. According to IMDb's book. But with movies like those, they should be higher. But people are stupid. Alright, so... Silver Linings Playbook had a 77 on IMDB rating, a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, and an 81% Metacritic review. Now, we've gone through all that, and I told you all last week that I was going to be re-watching Up in the Air, and Katie and I did. We watched Up in the Air which is one of my favorite movies. I always call it sort of like a a spiritual successor to a Silver Linings playbook. Why? Because it's not... um, Here's the thing. There is no connection between the stories. There is no connection between the filmmakers, the actors, or the characters. Uh, They are stylistically... No, you know, here's what I'm going to say. They're cinematically different, but I feel like they're um, stylistically a little bit like one another. But most of all, it's basically thematically similar. Not all the themes. Like, it's really not the themes in terms of... Of, um, like the story or character, the crossover, and there's no literal crossover, but sort of the philosophical crossover between the two films, you the sort of self discovery and trajectory. I can't exactly put my finger on what it is about these two movies that I find to be similar, but I count them similarly. Uh I like them in similar ways. They're some of my favorite movies I think um up in the air anyway so the interesting we we just talked about civil Olympics playbooks criminally low scores so we rewatched up in the air forgot what a great film it is and and the thing about it is yet maybe be a technically better movie than silver linings playbook. I sort of brought up that idea last week. And it's a very hard thing for me to say. And I, and I don't even know if I fully agree. it's something maybe we should explore completely and it's own an episode. And if you have opinion again, hit us up on social media or at the email address, but whether, whether up in the air or silver linings playbook is a better Film and the and and I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one torn. Let's look at the up in the air rankings now. I know I keep repeating myself, but just for context, because you can't see these in front of your face, I'm going to to do the SLP ones again. But up in the air got a IMDb score of 7.4 out of 10. IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, it was 90% fresh, and Metacritic had 83% positive. SLP, again, was 7.7 IMDb, 92 on Rotten Tomatoes, and 81% on Metacritic. So that's 0.3 higher for Silver Linus Playbook on IMDb, 2% higher on Rotten Tomatoes, and yet 2% lower on Metacritic, which, remember, is the one with weighted movie critics. I had this theory, this this feeling about these two films before even... Looking into this, and those scores might indicate that I might be on to something. Since Metacritic is the one weighted, you know, most for sort of those people that are are most serious uh, are critics about film. Uh, now we're gonna go into the topic that I was trying to get into last week, and I thought all, last week's episode was gonna be about. Even though maybe we shouldn't, because I am so tired. I am actually. Fasting. I have not been fasting that long. I'm not fasting for health. I am just going to get some lab work done tomorrow. Lab work not for anything uh, important. Don't worry about it. It is annual checkup time. I am just trying to take care of myself. Partially because this is the first first annual exam I've had in probably five years so i just i just got motivated uh i i uh am in a position where I'm able to do it um and decided I was gonna start taking better care of myself and that includes you know sort of doing the routine maintenance physically and stuff like that um I didn't sleep a lot either I stayed up till i think. 4 o'clock or five, 4, 4.35, and then I got up at 9 this morning. Uh, and so I am exhausted. Oh, well, it's good. I did a lot of stuff today. I um, re-upped, uh, what's it called? Re- re-upped my certification for my company with the Secretary of State for another Year uh, working on this, did some chores around the house, ran some errands, got some food. So, all in all, uh, you know, been a good day. Was super tired and lazy yesterday. You know that my preference is always to get these podcasts out on Wednesdays, but that is just because I always like to make sure that I'm well ahead of time. I need to be for the Thursday because this is the day when our podcast really happens. Uh, and you can see that we have been pushing it later and later, and later, so the, re, the part of the extra reason why it was kind of a bad idea to do this today is because, um, now I am parched, oh, I am tired, I, uh, I'm not supposed to be drinking water, because I am fasting, so it's okay, i have only got, ten more hours, Arr. um, yeah, actually, it's a walk-in appointment, so I could really go anytime, any day, if I get lazy, uh, and let, let, let me get back on track. But we might call it a little earlier than I even planned. Um, what we were going to talk about, which there is no way we have time to talk about the whole thing. So I kind of did did fall through on my promise of for the first time doing something that we hadn't done that in any the other episodes. Oh, we were going to. Um, I wanted to talk about movies that are underrated. Uh, or, okay, it's not underrated. Rated. I am not saying any of these movies are underrated. I'm saying they are. They were reviewer underrated. Uh, I, I looked up a USA Today list of, um, and I forget why. I think it was because last week when I was researching um, how Silver Linings Playbook is, in my opinion, criminally underrated according to critic reviews. Uh, I got a list of the 50 films that they're not underrated films according to the. To the, um, uh, author of the article, the curator of the list, they are basically taking the point that I made and using the IMDB score as the general did people like it versus the Rotten Tomato score of did critics like it. I was gonna do a countdown and talk about all the things I could, but maybe maybe fifty is fifty is a long time. We've done like count, top ten countdowns and not even gotten all ten of our things through. So we're, let's just dive into it because this is fun. Lists are fun. Lists is probably the number one thing that is my favorite thing, uh, right along with two um, outlaw country music and and comedy, both the Texas outlaw movements and both of those. Mediums. Um three. Pizza. Okay. Number fifty. Fiftieth movie. Gods and Generals, a 2003 film starring Stephen Lang, Robert Duvall, and Jeff Daniels. It had a Rotten Tomato audience score of six point eight out of ten. It had an IMDB audience score of six point three out of ten. It had a rotten tomato critics rating three point five out of ten. And domestic box office uh take was twelve million eight hundred and seventy thousand um, dollars all right so the forty ninth I don't know anything about guys in generals so I just remember it was a civil war film, and I remember that the critics did not like it because I saw I wanted to see it because of the the trailer made it look good didn't know much about it just that it was a civil war movie. Uh, you know, had some good actors, but I missed it. Maybe it'll be worth a shot going back and seeing it. I don't know. Number forty nine, two thousand fifteen film, The Longest Ride, starring Scott Eastwood, Britt Robertson, and Alan Alda, with a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of seven point six out of ten, an IMDb audience rating of seven point one out of ten, and a Rotten Tomatoes critics rating of. Four point four out of ten. Domestic box office thirty seven million four hundred thirty thousand dollars. I believe the, le- the the longest ride was uh, one of those like uh, young adult romance novel, maybe a Nicholas Sparks novel that got turned into a film. Uh, those were very popular for Hollywood to make for a while. I'm not hundred percent sure of that. But I don't know. But that would also explain one of the possible causes of, of the ratings to be higher. Those tend to rate lower anything that's sort of like a niche audience, especially if that niche audience is really not the same as the critic audience and young high school and college age girl audience. While that's not a not important audience and certainly is an audience that makes money, does not Venn diagram overlap so much with who the critics are tend to be. So that looks like why uh one of the explanations why a lot of these could be romance films, romantic comedies, um, horror teen sex comedies, um, like American Pie, uh stuff like that. So well, let's get one. Number 48 because I said so, 2007 starring Diane Keaton, Mandy Moore, Gabriel Macht Rotten Tomato audience score of six point six, IMDb audience score five point six, Rotten Tomato critic score three point two. That is abysmally low, Rotten Tomato score because that's that's the average, uh three point two. Um. Okay. Also, I'll, I'll say the the Rotten Tomato audience rankings. These are going on on a scale of uh out of ten, as well. I know I said that that usually they give a percentage but you can convert that very simply to uh, one and one and a decimal Okay. number 47 good luck Chuck a 2007 film starring Dan Cook, Jessica Alba, Dan Fogler Rotten Tomato audience 6.4 IMDb audience 5.6 Rotten Tomato 2.9 so this is the lowest ranked uh, Rotten Tomato critic film that we have seen yet I think I saw that I might not, no, 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 I didn't. I am mistaking that with I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, which I believe was a Kevin James and Vince Vaughn, something. I always, I do tend to get those two titles confused around the same decade, and both have Chuck in the name. Number 46, the 1998 film Almost Heroes, starring Chris Farley, Matthew Perry, Bokeem Woodbine. Rotten Tomatoes audience score, 5.8. IMDb audience, 5.8. Rotten Tomato critics, 2.4. I saw this movie. I know I did. I don't remember anything. Also, you know one of the biggest tragedies is that this is one of the only Chris Farley movies I have seen. I have not seen Black Sheep. I have not seen Tommy Boy. I have not seen Beverly Hills Ninja. Now, I believe that... Tommy Boy is far and away the best one of those, critic and audience. And I think it might be the only one that people consider good. I don't know. But Almost Heroes. Only Chris Farley movie I've ever seen. Also, don't remember anything about it. Safe Haven, 2013 film starring Juliana Huff, Josh DeMel, Kobe Smulders. Rotten Tomato audience, rating 7.4. IMDb audience, 6.7. Tomato Critic, 4 out of 10. This also, this is hilarious to me. Starring Juliana Huff. I believe that's how it's pronounced. The girl from Dancing with the Stars. I think, I think I'm really stretching that. Josh Dumel to Hamill. Kobe Smolders. These are three people whose names I would all categorize as ones where it's like, I know who the person is. I think I know how to pronounce it confidently enough that I will sort of jump into it, but then I always have a question every time, every single time that I'm not pronouncing them right because I'm not 100% sure. Now we get on number 44 uh, of the list of films that audiences loved and critics did not, the first one that I have actually seen from this list. So 2014 uh, th- horror thriller The Loft, starring Carl Urban, James Mardston, Wentworth Miller. Rotten Tomatoes audience score 5.8, IMDb audience score 6.3, Rotten Tomato critic score 3.1. It only made domestic box office $5.98 million, which might actually have been pretty good for that. I don't know. Um, Feels like that's a very low amount but it could have been made for very little because it mostly takes place in a very limited scene uh it was fun it wasn't it wasn't like a super great movie but I think I think I kind of remember watching it it was a little bit of a surprise I like psychological thrillers mysteries a uh, little horrorish suspense so number 43 2007 film the Air I breathe never heard of it starring Brenda Frazier Sarah Michelle Geller Andy Garcia. Actually, sounds like a decent cast. So I'm sorry that the, movie critics didn't like. I guess that maybe that's why people did like this movie though. Rotten Tomato audience six point eight, IMDb audience six point nine, Rotten Tomato critics three point eight. So all of these are a little higher than the other films so far. Even, even the Rotten Tomato critics. This is one of the highest failing. Ratings we got except no nope, Safe Haven had four. Uh, so it's close. Um only made a thirty thousand dollars. That's thirty thousand. Thought I either cut and paste this wrong, they reported it wrong, or maybe it was an independent film. That's all it made. Wow. Okay. Um number forty-two. 2006 film Step Up starring Channing Tatum, Jenna Dewan, Damian Radcliffe. Rotten Tomato's audience score is 7.8, IMDb rating audience 6.5. Rotten Tomato critics 4.5. Okay, that's that's far and away the highest one that means and a decent amount of critics liked it. And I, and so now we also know this is the the uh, uh, from the streets dance battling movie franchise, basically Fast and Furious of dance battling. And I think these movies are great for what they are. Also, all dance movies usually get scored a little bit lower. Is that because they're bad movies? Um, if you're judging them against uh, narrative narrative driven story films, then yeah, I think, I think the criticism of these films is largely that they're just like extended music videos, often lacking plot or character development. But did they provide entertainment? Is that the job when the people write and make these and perform them? Do they think they're making masterpieces? Maybe, but if people enjoy them, they all did their job. I actually have a story that I might have referenced before because I repeat my stories all the time. I don't have that many. I bought a DVD copy when when Blu-rays first came out, and so there was basically a lot of opportunities, sort of like the Columbia House um subscription services for CDs, remember that? Like you, you can buy twelve CDs for a penny and then you know you um you know as long as you buy six more uh within two years or something like that, right? So not exactly that. I didn't subscribe to a a Blu-ray service, but when when technology had first come out for Blu-ray uh DVD players, um to become common you know we were all sort of slowly building our library of of uh blu-ray discs and um we were uh trying blu-ray discs and like you were they were just giving away with everything like buy a tv get one of these dvd blu-rays uh buy a blu-ray get one of these so i got step up to the streets which is the sequel to step up Now, the thing, the reason I didn't know it was a sequel, and I was disappointed when I found that out, even though you don't need to have seen Step Up for Step Up 2 to make sense, because it is a completely different story. Um, But because they wrote the title uh, Step Up the 2, The Streets is the number 2, which it should be to indicate that it is a sequel, Step Up 2. But instead of having it uh, Step Up colon two or step up two even on the same line. Uh, it was step up two. uh, it was on a separate line and then the streets. So I thought they were just writing two and sort of a hip hoppy way of like step up to the streets. I thought that was the name of the movie, not a good story, not worth the time it took to tell. Okay. Number 41 on our list, the 2016 film Warcraft starring Travis Fimmel, Paul Patton, Ben Foster, Rotten Tomatoes, 8.2. IMDb audience, 6.9. Nice. Rotten Tomato Critic, 4.3. Warcraft, interesting. I wonder, was that Warcraft like based on the computer game? Warcraft, did they make a move about it? I didn't even know that. Did they? Is that what it is? It might not be, but that's what I'm guessing. That would also possibly be a reason how there could be a huge fan base that liked it again. Sort of like when we were talking about the uh, Nicholas Marks or, or or young adult romance novels that get turned into movies. You have sort of a built-in audience that is predisposed to like it. And it might not be the same that overlaps with the critics. But again, sometimes this media is not made for critics. It is made for groups. And if they liked it, you know, good on all of them. If it is not Warcraft, the computer game, then I stand by everything I say still. All right, number forty. 2016 film, also 2016 film. The Choice, starring Benjamin Walker, Teresa Palmer, Alexander Daddario. Rotten Tomatoes, audience, 7. IMDb audience, 6.6. Rotten Tomato critic, 3.7. Okay, these last two movies I've never heard of were crapped in The Choice. Also, I have never heard of any of the actors in either of these films. Which, nothing against them. I am not... I'm not up on my stuff so that is my fault okay and the next one on our list explains why i made a mistake earlier not a mistake on the list but i was saying i always make a mix up number 39 the 2007 film i now pronounce you chuck and larry starring adam sandler kevin james jessica biel Rotten tomato audience seven imdb audience six rotten tomato critic 3.6 domestic box office 120 million dollars which uh, comedies like this do Adam Sandler comedies do, uh, Kevin James. I don't know if he has the same level of, of, um, you know, star power as Adam Sandler, but I think to a degree he he definitely is way up there. He, I like Kevin James a lot. I think he's really funny. Um, but also 2007. So that exactly explains why I got, uh, I get, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry mixed up with good luck. Chuck. Two movies from the exact same year. They're probably both summer movies too, summer comedies. Uh having Chuck in the name. And now try to think of any other movie that has Chuck in the name. Not Chuck E, Chuck. Think of it. Alright, number 38. 2016 film, Dirty Gramp. uh 2016 seems like it was just not a good movie year. Uh according to critics. They don't like a lot of these 2016 films. Dirty Grandpa, starring Robert De Niro, Zach Efron, Zoe Deutsch, uh, Rotten Tomatoes Audience 6. IMDB audience rating 5.9. Rotten Tomato Critic 2.8. I think also though, maybe we have to have a different standard for what is liking a film on Rotten Tomato and IMDB. Because just saying, just saying the critics liked it less than the audience, but if you look at these, I don't think these are stellar numbers from audience. Ratings either. Yes, they are. They are technically over the fifty percent mark, which I do think is a significant and probably meaningful threshold about whether did people like it or not. But it just seems like if a movie needs to be successful, that the threshold of actually is it is it good or not based on a a review, a ranking system, especially such a democratic one, might need to be a little higher for an actual good rating, even though I guess the only thing the article said was films that audiences liked more than critics. So nobody's technically wrong, but I feel like they're not really that right either. Number 37, The Benchwarmers, a 2006 movie starring David Spade, John Hedder, Rob Schneider, Rotten Tomato Audience, 66 IMDb audience, 5.6. Rotten Tomatoes critics rating, 3.1. I remember this film. I don't remember anything about this film. Uh I think it was fun. I think I kind of liked it. This actually might be a fair, like, it was probably terrible, and I enjoyed it enough. 6.6, 5.6 sounds about like how much I probably enjoyed it. I think I was surprised because I I think I, I watched this. um, 2006, I was probably... Watched it while I, anyway. Um, Number 36, No Good Deed, 2014. Starring Tarja P. Henson. Idris Elba. Leslie Bibb. I butchered those names. And I apologize because they're fantastic. Uh, uh, um, Rotten Tomato Audience 6.8. IMDb audience, 5.6. Rotten Tomato Critic, 3.1. 2014 film. I don't remember it or know anything about it either. Number 35, Temptation, Confessions of a Marriage Counselor, 2013 film starring Journey, Smollett Bell, Vanessa Williams, and Brandy Norwood. Rotten Tomatoes, 7.4 audience rating. IMDb audience, 5. Rotten Tomato Critic, 3.6. Number 34, 2013, A Haunted House. Marlon Wayne's S.N. Atkins, Marlene Forte. Rotten Tomatoes audience is 6.4. IMDb audience, 5.1. Rotten Tomato critic, 2.6. Uh, a Haunted, if this is a horror comedy parody that, that the... Uh, Wayne's Brothers, I know, were making, because they were, like, making the scary movies and, and stuff. Like, the scary movie, scary movies. The, the scary movie parodies of scary movies that were not scary movies, but they were called scary movies. They were called scary movie movies. I'm explaining this like you guys don't know. And, one, there's nobody there. And you all would know. And if you don't know, there's no way you could care about this part as much. Because it is nothing what the list was about. Anyway, I think we will have to have a whole separate conversation because we're probably only going to go down to half of this list. I do think that rating is important. I do think that rating films is valid, but I also think that there is a lot of different things that have to be taken into consideration, and perhaps I would even make an argument that horror, comedy, and any other specific genres definitely have to go in basically like their own, um, their own ranking system. It doesn't make sense to rate them right along with other movies because I feel like, on average, they score lower than their counterparts. Even though, in my personal opinion, and I'm trying to review a lot of them in most professional terms, I think they score too low by critics a lot of times. I think critics reward dramas. They reward some romance and only the highest of concept comedies, the highest of concept horrors. But if you have anything that is playing into another specific genre, it automatically feels like it is definitely downgraded by the critics by default. All right, number 33, See No Evil, 2006 film starring Glenn Jacob, Christina Vidal, Michael J. Pagan, Pagan. Rotten Tomato audience score 6.4. IMDb audience 5.1. Rotten Tomato critic 2.7. Number 32. The 2006 film Big Mama's House 2. Martin Lawrence, Emily Proctor, Neil Long. Rotten Tomatoes audience 6.6. 6, IMDb audience 4.7. Rotten Tomato critic 3. I also feel like if you have such a big discrepancy such as 6.6. 6, the Rotten Tomato audience rating and 4.7 for the the IMDb audience ranking. You are also getting uh, some some um, commentary is not the right word, but this is actually interesting too because the IMDb IMDb audience ranking tends to be lower than the Rotten Tomato audience ranking meaning I think that while they both are influenced by sort of like the popular opinion general general filmgoer perspective, perhaps the IMDb person that wants to leave a rating is slightly more discerning than the Rotten Tomato general audience. Number 30, 2018 film Venom, Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams, Riz Ahmed. Rotten Tomato audience, 8.6. That's one of our highest audience ratings yet. IMDb audience, 7. So in the audience's eyes, this was a legit good movie. I saw it. I don't remember anything about it. I feel like it was boring, and I don't finish it. But I'm saying this as opinion, not saying whether it's good or not. Rotten Tomato critic, 4.4. That's also higher than some of the other critics. Also, again, comic book movies sort of being one of those Genres that's often not rewarded in reviews, even though some of the Marvel ones have been. But basically, anything that wasn't the specific MCU. I don't know if Venom counts as MCU. Anyway, number thirty, Underworld Evolution, two thousand six film. Kate Beckinsale, Scott Speedman, Bill. Nai ni naiji ni. Bill. Run Tomato audience seven point two. IMDb audience. 6.7. Found of Metacritic, 3.8. The Underworlds were panned. Critics have never liked The Underworlds. I really like The Underworlds. I don't think they're good, but I think they're fun. I think... And again, just like the Step Up films, these are movies where there have been multiple entries into the franchise, too. So I think... That just makes it very valid that the, the critics are maybe judging these movies against the wrong thing. That's all I'm saying. Number 29, the 2010 film Grown Ups, Adam Sandler, Selma Hayek, Kevin James. Adam Sandler and Kevin James again in the same same movie. Uh this is it got a, a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of seven out of ten. IMDB audience six out of ten. Rotten Tomatoes critic rating. 3.3, this is the second Grown Ups, um, hold the phone ever, Grown Ups being the second Adam Sandler, we just said that, but the, the second Adam Sandler, Kevin, James, entry on the list, banning, I think, also, I think critics are very hard on Sandler, again, not making the movies for them, making the movies for the people, and the people Clearly, reward them with 162 million dollars. Number 28, the 2017 movie The Shack Sam Worthington, Octavia Spencer, Tim McGraw. Audiences 8, IMDb 6.3 for audience, and Rotten Tomato 3.9 for critics. Well, I I think The Shack was based on a motivational book. Was it a Christian film? I don't know. That might have played in too. There's a number of Christian films on here. Uh, that rate lower with critics and higher with audiences. And I think that exactly is like the kind of polarization that is just like perfectly describing um, conflict in these days that like, uh, okay. Um, Number 27, 2001 film, Sweet November. This is one of the oldest ones on the list so far. Keanu Reeves, Charlize Theron, Jason Isaac, Ron Tomato audience, 6.8, IMDb audience, 6.7. Rotten Tomato Critic, 3.5. I think that was a romance again like we've talked about. Um, some romances seem to make it into to critics' uh, happy lists, but it feels like mostly period pieces, high concept, or something else. Uh, number 26, the 2014 film A Haunted House 2. Marlon Wayans, Jamie Presley, Cedric the Entertainer. Rotten Tomato audience six, IMDb audience four point seven, Rotten Tomato critic two, two being the lowest we have gotten here. A haunted house two, also being a sequel, also being a horror parody. Uh, uh, again, think um, sometimes these are not great cinema, but they can be fun movies. Judge too harshly anyway. Uh, that is halfway through the list, so I'm kind of happy. I think that's a good way to stop because we have hit our time mark. So tune in next week where we will count down the next and final 25 top movies according to the USA Today list that were loved by audiences more than critics. Loved might be a very strong word based on these very slightly above fine ratings. Um, as always, tune in this uh, next week. And every other week, as long as we keep doing this, for all the latest on Silver Linings Playbook Movie and the Silver Linings Playbook The Book. Until next time, we will see you down the road at Excelsior. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is the forest, the other's husband is dead. That's why it's so up messed up in the head. It's a silver lining's play cast. Oh yeah.